0: Welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider, and today I'm gonna to be talking about the Thunder's latest move in acquiring Melvin Fraser Jr. and waiving Olivier Sar from his two-way contract. Kind of the breakdown on both of those two guys and what my opinion of all of this is. Also, I want to talk about the Thunder's latest game. They took it over to Utah to face the Jazz. Going to be breaking down the top performers from that one. Some of the G League outings we saw yet again from the typical blue guys. And I want to hone in on Jalen Horde. He has been on a monstrous 10-day contract. Think he could be worth an additional look. And to cap things off, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So you do not want to miss out on that. But starting things out here, guys. want to talk about the transaction we saw on Wednesday. Melvin Frazier Jr. gets signed to a two-way contract by the Oklahoma City Thunder. Obviously, OKC already has two two two-ways in the chamber. Got to let one go. And Olivier Saar was the odd man out. Now, on the surface level, a lot of people were unhappy about this move. Olivier Saar has done an amazing job on his two-way contract. Let's call it how it is. In his 22 games playing with the Thunder, he was both starting and coming off the bench. Started two of his games, and he averaged seven points and 4.2 rebounds across 19.1 minutes. Insanely efficient from the floor. Shot 44.8% from distance. Now, you got to take into account that was 13 of 29, but he looked very good from downtown and when he was with the Oklahoma City Blue you started to see him kind of tap into that three ball now was he very effective absolutely not you know this was a guy who shot them on occasion but if you were expecting him to shoot above 35% in the pros you were fooling yourself he he comes out and just dominates on the tiny clip he had and he played basically better than he did with the Oklahoma City Blue actually with the blue He averaged 7.7 points and 5.8 rebounds across 15.7 minutes. And in those games, the efficiency was clearly there. When he was the starter, he was posting double-doubles. Even off the bench, he was getting like 18 points in 18 minutes. So he was very good. But when you had guys like Poku going in and out, DJ Wilson was the best player on the blue this season. He was playing the starting five. He kind of had a diminished role, and it led to him being kind of a bit of an enigma at the G League level, comes to the NBA ranks, and on big time, he had some big performances. Biggest one had to be against Phoenix, where he dropped 24 points, basically could not miss a three ball, and at 23 years old, he's still a very interesting project piece if someone were to look at him. So he got the major run from the Thunder. You know, because of it, there could be another opportunity for him with Omer. He was a star off the bench for the Blue. Signed with Miami in the last week of the season on a two-year contract, and he has been a very good bench player for them. You know, when they didn't have Dwayne, Dedman, and Bam was out, he was posting double-doubles, and he was looking like a freaking machine. I don't know if Olivier's on that same wavelength, to be honest with you. I'll probably go uh, into his chatter a little bit more in a second, but, you know, he is... He is kind of one of those players where he was a tad bit of a G League gym. No one was looking at him seriously, and now he kind of has a batch of very solid performances. So I don't know what's going to happen. I think if there were to be a guy waived, I was surprised it was Olivier. Now, with that being said, I don't think you're waving any of the standard guys right now, and Lindy's definitely sticking around. But I thought maybe they could get another 10-day hardship exception. There are nine guys not playing this year, and like five of them are out for the season. You might want to chalk the others out for the rest of the year as well while you're at it. They only have, I think, three guys on uh, hardship exceptions. Yeah, they only have three. That's Jalen, Xavier, and Yorgos. So you'd think they could slip a fourth in there. They didn't get it, and as a result... Olivier is out after having some very good games to close out his season. But the guy they get in return is one of my favorite G League stories the last two years I've been covering it. It's Melvin Frazier Jr. When he was coming out of Tulane, I thought that he was going to be the steal of the draft. I had two second-round picks locked in on. Mitchell Robinson and Melvin Frazier. Now, Mitchell Robinson had a very good rookie campaign with the Knicks he was a steal for the second round as for Melvin Frazier got picked up by the Orlando Magic with the 35th pick and he just didn't play you know he was in a spot where you got guys like Wes Wundu Jonathan Simmons just those like mid 2010s and it's more mid to late you know we're talking 2017 2018 2019 where you're basically just running Vucevic and Aaron Gordon and the rest of the pieces are just decent those were the years I'm talking about and they had an obsession sort of like what the Thunder had and picking up potential three and D wings but they got too many of them to the point that you couldn't play guys like Melvin Frazier Jr and even though they used a very high quality pick on him he never got to play you know I think he played in total nine NBA games leading into this two-way contract And he had to basically star for the Lakeland Magic. Whenever you looked at his rookie and sophomore campaign with Lakeland, he was nothing short of a beast, man. He was dropping like 15 points per game, I think, one year. He might have actually knocked on the door of 18. Yeah, I mean, he had, in his sophomore year, averages of 18.1 points, 6.6 rebounds, and 2.2 steals on a 39% clip on threes. That's insane. And despite that, never got a look from Lakeland. So he finished the year out and Sam Presti must have shown some interest. They got him on an exhibit 10 in December of 2020 and they lured him in for the bubble season in the bubble. He wasn't good. I mean, and it's not just him having bad games. He just didn't have an opportunity. You know, if you remember that 2021 or 2020 to 2021 season there were lots of different guys going in and out of the rotation and melvin kind of got phased out like rob edwards became a big story you already had ty jerome playing down there so the guard minutes were already restricted a little bit and guys like antonius cleveland were dominant so he didn't get to play he was basically just a routine like ninth man off the bench and he didn't even finish the season out i think he was sitting in the sidelines for the last two or three then He actually returned for the blue this year, which is something that I did not see coming whatsoever. You know, based on playing in the bench, being a star prior to that point at the G League level, I would have thought he went somewhere else. You know, he tried playing for the Washington Wizards Summer League. They got COVID. So that was kind of scrapped out. He returns and then he got his minutes. He ended up finishing his blue tenure with 13.4 points, 3.6 rebounds, and 1.8 assists in 31 games, and he shot 37.5% from three. If you all follow me on Twitter or you pay attention to some of those like uh, February podcasts I had surrounding the blue, Melvin Frazier Jr., Was always a guy I was delighted to see. He knocked down 15 points damn near every game, and he was basically just a plug and play, efficient guy on both ends. You pop him in the corner, he'll take the open shot, and he really started evolving his game where if you gave it to him in the corner, he was actually good at driving inside, and he has a very nice gather to go along with it. He's good at drawing contact. I was sold on him. And I've been sold on him as a potential NBA prospect for the last three years. I think that break in Orlando was. Seriously, a joke. Like, that was the worst possible hand ever. You know, you hate saying certain franchises just set you up for a premeditated, like, death. But, I mean, Orlando kind of was that team three or four years ago. Kind of like what the Kings are now, if you want to throw a comparison out the window. But, yeah, um, he gets signed by OKC. Now, obviously, people aren't too fond of it because Olivier was really good on his contract and I'd argue that he probably should have closed out the season but Melvin he was committed to the blue for two years Mark said unless you know JRE didn't get injured or because JRE got injured I guess I'd say Olivier had extended time he would have been in for probably 10 games and then they would have got Melvin in on a two-way contract for 10 games and just continued the revolving door they couldn't do it due to injury, and that's why you saw Sar. but now they feel confident because JRE's back. They can kind of ship this contract off to somebody, and it's going to Melvin. You know, I had a pod, probably like my fifth or sixth pod on here, talking about Frazier for about 25 minutes. I was sold on him, and I'm biased towards him. I think he is a good prospect on both ends. I think if you're looking at the you know, projected window, this is a player who is going to be a role player at, at its finest. You know, he's foot two wingspan, very good when it comes to uh, reading the passing lanes. And offensively, you essentially just use him as that spot-up shooter. But that's something that works, you know, for teams who need to fill out the back end of their bench. Just having one of those guys is big time. You know, they're not looking for the high-maintenance shot creator that could go one for seven but could also go seven for seven they want someone who'll go you know three of six three of seven maybe eight points a game and and have some respectable defense to kind of get you from that second unit back on to your starters so for me I think that that's really where Melvin fills in you know he's not that starting caliber anymore I'd say but you know for that like NBA journeyman he really does fit kind of the defensive oriented wing that a lot of playoff teams could use. Now, when he was with the Blue, I think he did a very good job. You know, he was probably up there as like one of the top one or two guys in terms of who I think would translate over. I think his downhill ability has gone up significantly as a defender. There's not a ton of lapses with him. And the three ball has kind of resurged again. I liked him since Tulane, so I'll put it out there again. There is a bit of bias I toss in, but yeah, when I evaluated uh, prospects in 2018, no doubt in my mind, I had a first round grade, uh, first round grade on Melvin Frazier Jr. And you know he got shipped off to Iowa in the um, trade deadline, actually, which I thought was something. The the Blue got Robert Woodard the second in a first round pick, and Iowa got Melvin Frazier Jr. in a second. Robert Woodard got signed by the Spurs to a two-way like a week after that deal and now the Thunder just took Melvin Frazier Jr. away so basically OKC got an upgrade from their second round pick to their first round pick um, for lending off Frazier for like a month or two and Melvin was one of the reasons the Blue actually missed the playoffs this year he was the one who really kind of threw that knife down in them when OKC had the back-to-back capper against Iowa. Had they won both the games, they would be in the playoffs, but didn't happen. And probably worked out best, actually, because now Melvin's playing um, for the Thunder. Xavier's playing for the Thunder. Jalen is. Your ghost is. Lots of dreams are being realized. But that's just kind of my outlook on this thing. I think that for Olivier, he's a guy that could very well sneak in as like a 14th or 15th man on a roster next season, and people are going to be a bit upset. I'll say this. I was much higher on Omer than I was with Olivier. I still think that Olivier sources some good um, offensive ability, really, if he's able to tap into popping off of high ball screens. That's why Omer became so successful. We saw that breakthrough in his last like four or five blue games. As a rebounder, though, give me Omer any day of the week. He's a much better offensive rebounder, and that post game is really solidified for him. But I think there is a decent prototype. You know, teams are going to start waving their veterans to get two year contracts, which basically is a contract to finish out the last week, and then it's a non guaranteed deal for next season. And that's what Omer got, I think, for a team like the Clippers or the Lakers they could use a big man going into training camp, in particular a young one, just because the draft picks are going to be so depleted. Sars a name to look out for there. His time in OKC was pretty damn good, and I'm excited to see what is next for him. want to talk about the Thunder's last game, though, against Utah. Going to break down the guys that I really thought stood out from that one. First, though, I want to mention A really special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Two titles are up for grabs this week in the stacked UFC 273 Fight Card. Join the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. New customers can bet $5 on any fighter and get $100 in free bets. Win or lose, guaranteed. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the excitement. Everyone can play for a share of millions in prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy MMA Contests. Draft your lineup of fighters while staying under the salary cap and rack up points for strikes, takedowns, and more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Here's what you have to do. For the offer, go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Throw down five dollars on UFC 273 and get one hundred dollars in free bets, no matter what. That's code TBPN this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. Twenty-one plus age requirements. Restrictions apply. See show notes for details. One interesting thing about me, I'm a big UFC fan, actually. I think if you're going to rank, you know, some sports that I enjoy, UFC's top three, easily. GSP, Bisping, whatever it is. You know, I I really loved seeing UFC fights. Probably, like, starting in 2010, working up to, like, 2016. Kind of getting more into it yet again, but fun sport. And, you know, with this offer you're basically getting $100 of free play. So that's awesome. But going into the game we saw on Wednesday, you get Melvin in. He's he's an active member of the roster here. And you still are running this just G League-infused lineup where everyone you're playing (laughs) is a certified G League player. Jeremiah Robinson Earl was your lone, like, I guess, different player there because he was the 32nd pick. And actually, Yorgos Galatakis was the 60th pick. So you have two draftees here and then just the G-Leaguers. So your starting unit is Xavier Simpson, Vit Krejci, Yorgos Galatakis, Jalen Horde, and Isaiah Roby. And for the Utah Jazz, you know, they're, they're still keeping out some of their guys. You know, there's no Donovan Mitchell in this game. And you don't see Mike Conley either, but they got a couple good guys still remaining. Rudy Gobert's in the rotation. Hassan Whiteside's playing. Jordan Clarkson's playing. And you got the starting rotation of Trent Forrest and Daniel House, Bojan Bogdanovich, Juan Hernan Gomez, and then Gobert. Bojan is Kevin Durant when he plays against OKC. There's no doubt in my mind. Like, he's dropping 30 points most of these games. And their last meeting, he either tied or broke their franchise record and made threes. Hit at least 11 there. He could have hit down a whole baker's dozen. But on paper, you give the upper hand to Utah. Even without their two starting guys, they are very depth heavy. And OKC just didn't have depth in general. They really ran eight players in the game. So you jump into it and, you know, it's kind of like as you expect, man, you know, Utah is unstoppable around the basket. Rudy Gobert has eight points. Bojan has 12 points with eight of them coming at the foul line. And they go ahead 41 to 31 in the first quarter. You know, Utah, it wasn't a matter of getting to the three-point line, actually. You know, they went two of eight from distance, but they just kept working around the cup. They went 14 of 24 in all and 11 of 14 at the free throw line. OKC made 11 field goals in general in the first quarter, and they only went to the stripe for four attempts. They went five of nine from three, which was the one like really good breakthrough here. JRE, he had 11 points in four minutes, but that was about all of the production you were getting. And once you got into the second quarter, Started to realize there's a bit of a blow blowout on um, on your hands. Still a double-digit lead really through and through. Utah goes up 71-58 to 58 by halftime, and it's still working through your two guys. Rudy Gobert, 14 points and 7 rebounds on 6-of-6 six six shooting. Bogdanovich has 16, and Jordan Clarkson has 12 points. OKC, they have 13 players, or excuse me, they have 3 guys with 13 points, and Roby, horde and jre but they were tapped out man third and fourth quarter kind of goes as expected you know for the blue or the thunder defensively they just weren't able to protect the basket like at any sort of capacity and as a result of that you just saw them continue to go around the basket jordan clarkson looked like an nba 2k player where you get right under the rim and you just spam pump fakes. Once you get your man airborne, it's a free two points. They capped the game off with 60 points in the paint, and it was straight mutilation in the fourth quarter. They had a lead as large as 41, ended up finishing with a 137-101 to 101 victory, and that was that. You know, this is a game where it got out of hand the first half, You know, they kind of stayed in striking distance, but when you get rid of Olivier Saar and when you're playing one of the best bigs in the NBA, you're going to have a major problem on your hands. And it's not just Gobert that poses major issues for a team like the Thunder. You have a player in Jordan Clarkson who is one of the best shot creators in the league. You know, when I was talking about Rob Edwards earlier in the season and when I was talking about Trey Mann the bar has always been Jordan Clarkson because he's one of those guys where he's just strictly a microwave. You know, he's a walking bucket. He can drop 30 points on any given night and be the reason that, you know, someone wins their ball game. Even with Donovan Mitchell in the cards, some nights you want Jordan Clarkson to have the basketball and more often in his hands, right? So him just slashing the basket caused major issues. Hassan Whiteside, his story's a bit weird, man. Like, he went from being a guy in Miami getting triple doubles with blocks in there to no one really valuing him he gets picked up by Utah and he's he did great I mean he's done great this year as a backup gives you everything you need and he kind of has that same archetype as Gobert so he also had a hell of a night Gobert finished with 20 points and 10 rebounds and Hassan had 15 points and 11 rebounds to go along with five blocks. The paint was just not there. And that's the biggest difference from their victory against Portland to this matchup. Who are they going up against in Portland? They're playing Drew Eubanks. Eubanks had to play almost the entire game, and he's not known for being a very athletic center. This is a guy who basically goes in the post and that's it, you know? Not much action where he's going out to the perimeter, and he's not going to keep up stride for stride with really power forwards either. bear and Whiteside cover that distance up with their length, and OKC, they just simply could not adjust to it. They finished with just 36 points in the paint, and that's kind of where they've lived in the last month or so. Now, The one good thing is the three ball has remained really prevalent. They shot 43% in this game, hit 16 threes to go along with it, but just could not remain efficient in general. They shot in the 30s on twos. And for the Jazz, they finished the game shooting 58% from the field, 42% from three, and 24 of 32 at the line. OKC went 11 of 17. Everyone got the basketball for Utah in this game. Bojan had 27, Gobert had 20, Clarkson had 18. And in all, you had seven guys, or excuse me, six guys in double figures when they had about a 10-man rotation. For OKC, they also were able to get their head above the water. They had five guys in double digits, but you got to keep in mind that they're playing upwards of, like, 36 minutes in this game. So, them scathing 10 points should be expected given uh, kind of the amount of run that they were disposed of. You know, the inside attack killed them. The three ball has been kind of that deciding factor the whole year where that wins them ball games, but it always has to come along with a strong game around the cup. Nope, wasn't there. Xavier Simpson could not get his hook shot off to save his life. You know, it's just heavily contested every time. I think one of them got swatted by Whiteside. And you just saw that continued throughout the entire roster. You know, these easy chip shots against Portland were not chip shots anymore. And they were basically hitting the backboard and just clanking hard off, dude. Your best guy was Jalen Horde yet again. He finished with 23 points and five rebounds. Isaiah Roby had 18 points and 5 rebounds. And then you had JRE with 18 points in 16 minutes. Then you get that drop-off, though, where you're really not getting the effort you need from everybody. But, you know, Jalen, he was spectacular. And he's been spectacular this entire 10-day. If you want to uh, throw in his four games, I guess, in totality, he's done. He's averaged 13 points and 15 rebounds, shooting about 58% from the field. And off of this game, he actually has had more three-pointers with the Oklahoma City Thunder than he has with the Oklahoma City Blue. And when I say with the Thunder, I mean just on this 10-day contract alone. He ended up with five three-pointers on this game. Now he has seven on his 10-day contract, and he's only made six in a blue jersey and this is him playing two seasons with the team upwards of 1100 minutes he says bye-bye to that in about 120 and this was the most complete game from horde i know this wasn't a 2020 game for him he didn't look insane off the glass but i think this is the game where you're really able to gauge like what his impact could be when you get everything at least offensively you know this is a player who has been refined as a finisher since coming out of Wake Forest honestly but the three ball has been his downfall i think if he had a respectable three pointer portland probably would have kept him around and they would have evaluated him a little bit more he was a five star out of high school you know in these like u17 circuits he was always there representing the the french national team like he has proven that he's a great player um but without the three-level ability, it's hard to kind of bite on him because, yes, he's greater on the basket. Yes, he's a hell of a rebounder, and he is pretty solid at guarding like threes and fours. But if you're going to make the NBA at the power forward spot right now, you either need to be able to shoot the basketball, and if you can't, you have to impact the game monumentally with your athletic ability. Horde is very springy, but I don't think he's at that level yet where he can really turn into that microwave X factor. You've gotten it in stints, but never one where you're getting him uh, from all three levels of the court. This was the one where he really unleashed his ability. The confidence from three was big for me. And with that, you know, I think there's going to be some scouts looking at Horde again, and he sort of got his name back on the NBA horizon. As for the other two 10-day signees, Yorgos was able to get the starting gig here. He finished with 11 points on 4 of 9 shooting. Still, just like I said, man, he is a good downhill player. He's able to absorb contact around the basket, but you cannot rely on him to hit his free throws, and you can't rely on him from distance. Shot 1 of 2 from 3, 2 of 4 from the foul line, and you know, basically he was just utilized as someone to use... like. As that fill-in piece. And that's okay. He's just a very low maintenance player. That's maybe why the Bucks took a swing at him as a potential defensive specialist. As for Simpson, offensively, he couldn't score. He went two of ten, oh of one from three, only mustered up four points, but he still got a passing grade for me. Eleven assists on the game to just four turnovers. The assist to turnover ratio for Simpson has been amazing since college with the blue. He's been their best passer, best decision maker, and he still was in this contest. You got 27 assists on the game for the Thunder. Good chunk of them were credited to Captain Hook himself. You hope against the Lakers he's able to kind of drop into that post hook bucket yet again, but... I'll settle here because, honestly, this was a game where they just did not have the correct bodies to uh, match up with the Jazz. And with Melvin Fraser Jr., he did not live up to my expectations whatsoever. Now, he came off the bench, but he played 33 minutes. That's basically starting uh, in this game. He was looking to get his man, and he couldn't. He shot 4 of 15 in this game blank 0 of six from downtown majority of those came from the corner and he only had eight points and five rebounds credited to his name shot chart was ugly first career points in a thunder jersey came as expected reverse layup that's where he's really thrived this season but the shot was shanking i said to begin the pod Melvin's the guy that goes three of six or three of seven basically every night, and that's a positive uh, kind of push when you can have it on uh, the defensive side. He fell flat on his face, man. He could not hit. You know, the corner three was always there for him in this game. I think there was a possession where OKC got like two consecutive offensive rebounds. Both of them got kicked to the right corner for Frazier, and he bricked the corner three, just an O of three sequence for him came out of that. I don't think there's really much stock you throw into this though. You know, I, you kind of flip the page onto the next game and see where he kind of heads off to. I think he kind of got a reality check switching from the NBA to the G league in this game or the G league to the NBA, because in the G league, your typical centers are like six foot 10 some of them are athletic, but for the most part, you're able to abuse them. You can use your body. You can use that 7'2 frame or uh, wingspan to kind of push them off and create for yourself, whether it's off a of foul or off of just simply making the bucket. With guys like Whiteside and Gobert, there's really no good path to get around the basket. And when he was looking to absorb the contact, they remained vertical, and even with his you know wingspan it wasn't like he was throwing hook shots up or anything the ball was still pretty close so his only advantage which came off of his length had just been completely crossed out and it led to some very easy shot contests and rejections for guys in Whiteside and rudy i think he's going to do a lot better against the lakers just in general i think this group will do a lot better uh, against them they're not going to be playing their guys you know as you know they're out of the playoff race now, so they're going to be using guys like Winyan Gabriel as their star. Winion Gabriel was a beast in the G League this year, kind of like the Jonathan Motley guy where he's very effective around the basket, very athletic, but you're not going to see many three-pointers coming from Winyon. They've been sputtering, OKC. They've kind of been flatlining as this tanking team, so we'll see how they do when they intersect. As for Tankathon rankings, Oklahoma City still remains fourth in reverse standings. They are propped up with a 24-56 record, sandwiched by Detroit and Indiana. Detroit is three games behind the grand prize at 23-57, while Indiana is on the doorstep. They are five games behind the first odds and one game behind OKC on an eight-game losing streak. There are multiple different players that are encroaching on OKC. Indiana's lost eight. The Blazers have lost nine. Two of those have come off the hands of Oklahoma City, and the Los Angeles Lakers are one and nine in their last ten and have lost their last eight games. This is a game where the ping-pong balls could shift. And I saw, Um, I'll shout out Chenso. I appreciate him kind of mentioning this, but, but he made a Twitter thread a couple days ago kind of just saying like, hey, you know, the coverage on the team is more about these lottery balls than they are the players and winning to some aspects. I think that perspective, it makes sense, right, because... You look at this team, and a lot of it is centralized towards what the future could be. What are the long-term plans going to be? Why are you talking about Paulo when Jalen Horde's dropping 20-20? You know, me personally, I don't really have that viewpoint. I think my deal is this. You know, I've been covering the blue the last two seasons. When I see Jalen, Yorgos, and Xavier on the big stage, and even Melvin now, I'm excited. This is probably the most exciting week I've had covering the team. In months man I love seeing these stories of people finally getting their dreams coming into fruition but with it you know you have to look at what the future holds you want to see them succeed you want to see them pick up additional um you know contracts and opportunities in the league but you know having those draft odds is very very big and I said on my Twitter, you know, like people are going into Armageddon over guys like Yorgos having 17 points against the Blazers or Josh Hall having 25 against the Clippers. It's very weird. Very weird. And the point that those come from and those arguments come from is from a point of hindsight. We know last year that had Josh Hall kind of sputtered and not defeated the Clippers. The odds would be a little bit different going into lottery night, and that could have meant that OKC had Evan Mobley or they had a top three pick, right? But guess what? If Josh Hall still has that game, OKC gets Cade with the number one pick, no one's going to be worrying about it. I think with Yorgos and guys like Jalen even, they're going to be put up uh, maybe when people look back on him as guys who either screwed up the Thunder's long-term plans or you know they were really good additions and like late game heroes to the season for me I always kind of view him as a late game hero right because they're having really good stints here and as I said with Jalen like he might be working himself into an extra opportunity but people are going to be talking in hindsight after the draft and if it comes down to one game or one ping pong ball people might note stuff like Yorgos as the reason for me I do think you have to slightly prioritize the ping pong balls. If winning is still part of the equation with the youngsters, you take it. It's a good experience for them. My deal is not as much on the percentages, right? Not the 52.1% or the 48.1% you'll get from having a top three odd to what the fourth would look like. It's about the draft range, and it's about having that safety net. I think that is very, very valuable going into the lottery, whichever way you cut it, right? If you're the worst team in the league, which it looks like it'll be Houston, the worst they can do is fifth in the draft. That's going to secure them either one of the top four consensus guys or have the first pick in that second tier of players, which involves someone like Shaden Sharp, who has a very high ceiling. Once you get to the second draft odd, they can go anywhere from one to six. Three can go from one to seven four can go one to eight and five can go one to nine if you drop down to five that's where the board increases significantly and if there's some craziness you can end up with the eighth pick or the ninth pick and the vision you had on your player group or who you're going to add is extremely altered and that's where you have to really reach into your bag and find some assets. I want to see these G League guys be successful. This comes from someone, like I said, who has covered this G League team. I know that they're capable players. I know with the right system, they could make a really good opportunity and make a really good impression for some of these teams. But you really have to look into the future and say, you know, let's say we do have hindsight. If we lose out, you'll get Paolo. If you win a game here, now you're talking you have the eighth pick in the draft. There's more weight applied towards having that draft pick than, you know, um, winning a game. You know, if you win a game, so be it, right? Like, you'll have to deal with the uh, potential ramifications come lottery night, but you want to secure yourself for the best future. And with a team rebuilding like the Oklahoma City Thunder, you would like to do that through the draft. Having those ping pong balls is just simply put the way to do it so i've kind of been on that part where i've been uh kind of gravitating towards the losing out being alluring right whatever happens though kind of happens you go from there leading into lotto night hopefully that kind of gave a good explanation on what i have i know i briefly touched up on it uh, i think on thursday's pod so you can listen to that as well but we'll see what happens against la against the clippers Hopefully, you retain the fourth best odds, keep some of those ping pong balls moving forward, but we'll see. Other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.